Hey y'all, it's Barb. It's Shay. We're here to talk about a murder that's gonna knock you off your feet. So giddy up y'all, this is gonna be a wild one. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Texas Chicks Who Talk Murder. How was your Thanksgiving break, Barb? It was so nice. It was good seeing some family, that, I, especially the family I haven't seen in a while, and and ate a lot of food, but I'm happy to be back into the swing of things. How's was yours? It was good. We got to go hang out with Jonathan's family for a holiday for once. Uh, it was really fun. I had a great time. I had to go to three Thanksgiving, so I'm very stuffed for the next month. Um, but yeah, it was good. We It was a much needed break for Barb and I uh, for the podcast, just to spend time with our families. But yeah, so... I don't want to take too long on this, but some quick business before we get into today, today's voters episode. We will have a, the December's voters episode up for you guys on the 1st, so make sure you go in, like, go on our social media and vote, vote, vote. Also, don't forget about merch, but that's pretty much it. I want to just get into today's case because it's very long, but are you guys ready to find out who won the voters episode? Yes. Drum roll, please. And the winner is the Axe Man of New Orleans. So this case is actually an unsolved one. So I want to get into it. Are you excited about this one? Yes, I am excited about this one. This one is so interesting to me. Yeah, I kind of I kind of focused on the victims for this one just because there's a lot there's a lot of theories out there, but since it's an unsolved one, it's hard to like say for sure who was and and especially being in the 19 it was literally like 1918 and 1919 that this happened so it was a long time ago so i i mostly focused on the victims um but yeah so let's get into it i want to start off with a letter from the axe man himself so it says esteemed mortal of new orleans the axe man they have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe be smeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty Francis, Joseph, etc., but tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axe man. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am. 
but I could be much worse if I wanted to, if I wish. I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could stay, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am the close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 early time on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my inf infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in, whom's home, in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If, every, if everyone has a jazz band going well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain that, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on the specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and craved and crave the warmth of the native tar Tartarus, which I think is part of like a, I don't know. And it is, I don't, I can't remember what it was. I looked it up too, but, and it is about time I leave your earthly home. I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fantasy. The Axeman. So, I, I don't know if, if all of you have heard of The Axeman in New Orleans, but this is like one of the most popular talked about subjects of him is the letter that he wrote. Um, have you heard of that before? Yes, I actually have well, I mean, geez, it was probably a couple years ago, but whenever I first started into the crime junkie world, if you will, I, this was, the Axeman was one of the ones that I've heard of, just especially too, because it's literally like our neighbors as Texans, you mm -hmm. know, so it's close to home for us. And I even think there was a part in school where there was like a little bit of teaching on the Axeman. I don't know what it pertained to, but yeah. I have definitely heard it. Yeah. Um, I, and it's also in um, American Horror Story. They they do this in one of their seasons. But <clears throat> I want to continue. <clears throat> Sorry. So now that I've read you, read you the words of the Axeman, I want to tell you about the victims and how their lives were taken away from them in a second. The first victims, and I'm going to say in advance, I'll probably pronounce some of these wrong. So just bear with me. So the first victims were Joseph Mag Maggio and his wife, Catherine. On May 23rd, 1918, the two were sound asleep in their beds when a stranger broke into their home, which was usually done by removing the panel on the back door with a chisel. But it doesn't say, it doesn't state in every place, like how the person broke in or whatever, it only states in some. But when the man walked into their room, he wasted no time. He would take a straight a straight razor and slit the couple's throat. But that was not it. He then proceeded to take an axe and smash both of their heads in. But unfortunately, this did not kill Joseph right away. He was alive for several minutes after, the, after his brother showed up to help him, which was two hours later. So the 
the brothers actually lived. So a lot of these are where it was a grocery store and the grocery store was connected to apartments. And these people lived in the apartments of, of the grocery store that they owned. And so these brothers lived next to this guy and his wife. And so the brothers would end up hearing, but they didn't come until two hours later, which is kind of odd to me. But when the cops showed up, they found clothes that the intruder was wearing that were covered in blood. And they suspected that the killer changed into clean clothes before leaving the couple's home. The oh. police do what? Sorry. No, I'm just saying, oh my gosh, like how, just that alone, it's like how far we have come in technology. Because yeah. you never be able to do that today. For real, it's like he just knew, like he was like, eh, whatever, I already know what's, they're not going to be able to get me, you know? Mm-mm. Um, But the actually, it showed on there and I was like, am I reading this right? I don't think I'm reading this right. But it said that the police didn't do a complete search of the home. So, like, they just kind of went in there, got the bodies, and then whatever with it. They didn't think anything of it. Um, But they did say that they decided that it was not a robbery gone bad because it looked as as if nothing was taken from the home. So, they were like, well, this is not a robbery because clearly there's all these valuable things right here and they're still sitting here. But... A few days later, a bloody razor was found in the field close to the home, and they would later find out that the razor was actually the brother of Joseph, one of the brothers of Joseph's. His name was Andrew Maggio. Maggio. I don't know how to say that. Um, But the police were told by an employee of Andrew's that he had taken it out of the barbershop he owned just two days before his brother and sister-in-law was murdered. So he took it because this is what he tells his coworker. He says, I, I want to take this because it has a nick that I want to get taken off the razor. So there's a little nick on the side of it or whatever. But Andrew was the police's main focus when it came to suspects. Because that is kind of odd. Like, what are the odds that this person just finds their brother's razors, razor as the weapon? And then the second thing is he literally lived next door and it took them two hours to get over there. Yeah, that's like a huge red flag. I mean, yeah, how could he have gotten, like, what did the do, the killer do? Go to the next door house, find a weapon to go into the next house? Like, this doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, but they, they actually said that they couldn't charge him because they had no solid evidence against him because he says that the reason that it was two hours because he was very intoxicated and he like admits that he was super, super drunk and didn't know what was going on and didn't know if he was just hearing things or whatever. And I'm just like, I don't know. This one's kind of iffy to me, but I think they, they put it together. There's probably more evidence that shows that it, it is, is conclude included with the rest of these murders. Um, but it also didn't say that if they found the acts that they were murdered with or anything. Um, yeah. But- it's, I wonder if they actually decided to keep the clothes of the killer. Because if, had they known that in the future they'd be able to test DNA off of the killer's clothes, like in the mm-hmm. database, to see if it would come up as anything else. But then also, you have to think that, well, back then, there was no database to be, like, there was nothing to enter mm-hmm. it into. But, 
gosh, man, that's just crazy. I wonder if back then they're like, oh, we don't need these clothes. We'll just throw them away type thing. I know. I think that's so, like, it, I'd be really interested in learning, like, what happened to everything. Because there's that's not the only evidence that's going to be found. There's going to be, like, what happened to the razor, you know, what's going to happen to the axes that are going to be found and other things. It's just like, like, this person was just taunting them, really. And I wonder what happened to all the rest of the stuff. But, so, the next two victims were Luis Bessemer and Harriet Lowe. So, the two were murdered on June 27th, 1918. The two were in the back of, I don't know if it's Luis or Louis, but uh, they were in the back of Louis's, I'm going to say Luis because there's another Louis in this one section. Um, So, Luis's grocery store where there was actually a living space. Like I said, the killer came in and hit Luis in the right temple and hit Harriet over her left ear. And they were both still alive, but unconscious when the police got there. And as you guys probably know, the two were attacked by an ax that belonged to Luis. The two were found by John Zenka, who was who arrived around 7 a.m. to deliver the groceries to the store. So this was like a routine delivery. He comes here scheduled to deliver groceries to stock up the store again. So the police already knew it wasn't him. They had checked out his alibi and everything. But the axe was left in a nearby bathroom of, in the apartment. Luis and Harriet both ended up surviving to tell the police what they had seen when getting attacked. Luis just basically mentioned that he was sleeping when the attack happened. Well, Harriet had a little bit more to tell. Basically, she was trying to, like, start drama and get all this attention and stuff and say that the victim, the first thing that she said was the victim was of African-American descent, which led the police to arrest a former employee of Luis, and his name was Luis, but it was, it's L-E-W-I-S. And he was... 41 at the time but there was literally not one ounce of evidence that could that where they could get victim so they ended up releasing him due to that and then after she said that she would go on to tell the media that Luis was a German spy which made the police more suspicious of Luis which this was led because they had found letters in multiple different languages in like a trunk at Luis's house because they were already suspicious of him because they were concerned that he was the attacker actually because he had less major injuries than Harriet. So basically he is almost like he had scratches and she had like wounds, you know, I don't know if that's exact, but that's, kind of what they were seeing and not only that but Harriet was not his only spouse she was actually his mistress so Luis had already been married and was having an affair and this was released to the media and was one of the big reasons why he was a suspect so which is kind of like well I mean there and I think he was like in his 60s or something like that which is kind of like uh, I don't know. It's a little odd, but two days after surgery, after surgery on Harriet, it was, and this was after she had already gotten like released out of the hospital and then she went back. 
she went back in to get like her face reconstructed because it was so messed up from the axe and she ended up actually passing away from complications from that surgery and the after after she was killed like after she died the police then arrested Louise for her murder and he was in prison for nine months before he was acquitted of her murder so there's a lot just in those two that they were like well it might be the spouse it might not be but you have to remember at this time the police had no idea that there's these murders going on they didn't have they had no clue that there was this guy, one guy going around and traumatizing the New Orleans area. Yeah, I wonder if, like, if they ever thought about it being the possibility of the wife. Like, that went over to, maybe she found out that her husband was having an affair with Harriet and then went over there to murder both of them. Well, I saw in, in one of the things I was looking at, I just didn't put it in here, but the wife actually didn't know that that they were together she found out from the news and she showed up to the hospital oh hmm. yeah she had no idea like i don't even think she she lived somewhere else i i believe i don't think that she lived in new orleans oh, so okay. i don't know I, I i could be wrong on that part but she i don't think that she knew so let's move on to the next one next there was anna schneider who was eight months pregnant so on august 5th 1918 she was awoken by a noise and she was awakened to find a dark figure standing over her soon after she woke up the intruder started bashing her face in basically and that's like the the simplest term i could i could write but police believed that she was beaten with a lamp so this one was a little different um but yeah it's kind of the same motive i guess but she was discovered by her husband after he came home from work and anna would end up surviving the attack attack and so would her baby girl who was born two days after she was attacked which is thank you thank goodness that both of them lived through this um there was nothing stolen from the home according to her husband and there was no forced entry there was a man who was arrested but was released due to lack of evidence. But this attack was when the police finally started to connect all of them together. So right now you have, I, I believe, two deaths. No, wait. Sorry. Um, you have three deaths and I guess technically three living still because the baby survived. Mm -hmm. So, but that's so that's that one. So she lived everything. They started connecting it. And next is Joseph Romano. And this one happened on August 10th, 1918. His two nieces, Pauline and Mary, heard a strange noise, noise coming from their uncle's room. The two would run into the room and find a man fleeing the scene and find her uncle, find that their uncle had been attacked. They saw that a he they said that they saw a heavy set man with dark skin wearing a suit running out of their home he would eventually die from his injuries just two days later and the police found a bloody axe in the backyard and found that the back door panel had been chiseled open after joseph's after joseph's murder this is when residents started to basically panic and freak out all of these murders 
have been in the same area and have been just random attacks, no motive, no nothing, just a random thing. This is when they also started getting random calls from people claiming to have seen the axe man or claiming to see and finding axes in their backyards and all this random stuff. And a retired, a retired detective made a statement saying that he believes this person could have also did the same thing in 1911 and believes that this murder is most likely someone who seems very normal. Someone that is just another person walking the streets in the daytime, but just has an overwhelming desire to kill. And I believe um, for one of your cases, you covered an axe man, but I don't remember where it was, but I'm wondering if that's what that guy was talking about. Yeah, um, I can't remember at the top of my head, but it was in Austin and it was in the late 1800s. And so. Yeah, in that actual episode, I did reference the Axeman of New Orleans, and we talked about it briefly, but I basically were talking about it could have been the same killer that just migrated from Austin to New Orleans, but had like a 15-year or so like time gap, because sometimes that does happen. They just mm-hmm. stop, and then all of a sudden, they go on a spree again, and the killings were super-duper similar to the one that I covered. Yes, yes. I just wanted to make sure that I was thinking about, like, we were thinking the same thing. Yes. But, so, now things are starting to come together, but not quick enough, because the next victim was Charles Cordomiglia and his his wife, Rosie, and their infant daughter, Mary. So, they were attacked March 10th, 1919. So, this one was a little bit a little bit of a bigger gap so from august 1918 to march 10th 1919 so orlando giordano heard screams coming from his his home and ran over to all of like to i think it was he was across the street and rosie was standing in the doorway holding her head with one hand and her lifeless daughter in the other hand Charles was on the floor bleeding, basically like profusely bleeding all over the place. And the two were taken to the hospital because the baby was already deceased by the time the, like the medics and stuff got there. So Charles was released two days later and Rosie was kept in the hospital for a while to get further treatment. She had actually falsely accused the... Orlando, or no, I think it's Orlando, not Orlando, um, and his son for the attack out of jealousy and spite, which is crazy to me because this man literally saved you and your husband's life by coming to your house and basically breaking into your house to help you. So I don't understand why she did that. That didn't make any sense to me. That was weird. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, but Like usual, there was nothing stolen from the home. Their back door panel was chiseled away and there was a bloody axe found on their back porch. So, okay, let's get into the next person. Hey, sorry. So I did find what we were just talking about. It was the servant girl annihilator case. And it was that case where the guy had a missing toe and his bloody footprints were- Oh yeah. Yeah, that was it. And he that was actually called, also dubbed, the Austin Axe Murderer. And that was yeah. in the late 1880s. And he murdered 
uh, women and had that missing toe and they could never figure out who the killer was. Okay, yes. I, that brings back my memories when we were sitting in your closet talking about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so next was Steve Boca, who was attacked on August 10th, 1919, which is another big break from March to August. Um, he was woken up to see a dark figure standing over him and was attacked by this figure, which reminds you of the eight-month pregnant Anna. So he would later regain consciousness and run outside to see if he could see who it was. And to me, I'm thinking that it was just out of like confusion and shock because I feel like once he like went unconscious and woke back up that the Axeman was already gone. So I'm wondering as soon as he woke up, he's like, what the heck just happened? And he runs outside, like kind of freaked out. But when he ran out there, he realized that he had a huge gash in his head from being hit with an axe and he then ran to his neighbor's house and would like basically pass out on his porch they would call the the police they would take him to a hospital and he would survive that attack but he could not remember anything that happened after it so this happened after the letter from the axe man that i shared above so the axe man had sent out his letter and i'm wondering what day this was because i wonder if it was that tuesday that he's talking about but there was nothing stolen and the back door panel was chiseled away again and i'm not sure about the axe but if it was the weapon and if like i don't know if it was for sure the weapon or not and i don't know if they found it or what happened it just kind of like stopped there at that so next person was sarah lumen who was attacked on September 3rd, 1919. A killer came into her home through a window and attacked her with an ax. The attacker would then leave the ax in the front yard. Neighbors worried about Sarah because she was only 19 and she was living by herself. When they realized that she had not come out of her home for a while, they would end up breaking into her house to find her on her bed unconscious and like missing teeth and like blood, her face was covered in blood and what you can expect after being hit with an axe, right? But she would end up living, but also would not remember anything that happened after the attack or during it or anything. And last is Mike Pepitone. I believe that's how you say it. Um, he was attacked October 27th, 1919. His wife woke up from hearing a noise coming from her husband's room. And I, I do want to mention that I I can't, it doesn't say that if they shared separate rooms, but I do want to say that like back then it was normal for, for married couples to have different rooms or even be in the same room, but sleep in different beds. Um, I'm not, I don't remember why, but I know that's pretty normal or maybe she had fell asleep in a different room, but she had ran into the room to find a man running away with an ax in his hand. Mike was struck in the head and he would die from his injury. His wife was unable to give a description of him except for being a large man because of the time and shock she was in. And, you know, this was the last attack of the Axeman of New Orleans. So, I mean, some of these I feel like are kind of like, uh, I don't know, there might be other suspects, but then at the same time, it's like, I don't know, they can also all be connected. So... 
it's, it's a little weird to me, but there were a few suspects, but the most known one is was Joseph Momfrey. And this actually may or may not be a real person. And because I say that because when somebody tried to, it's all between a bunch of people and all these theories and stuff. And someone tried to enter his name into like a database or something. And the name never even popped up, almost like it was the alias or something. And there's like all these different theories on who the killer was, but it's hard to confirm from how long ago the, the murders actually happened. And I don't believe that there's been anything since October 27th, 1919, that's been connected to the accident of New Orleans. So... But you should you guys should look up like look into the suspects and like all the different ideas that people have. But that's pretty much today's voters episode. What did you think, Barb? Um, I enjoyed it. It had a lot of information. I I think that the cases are related, but it begs to question what like why did the murders stop? And the only reason would be that the killer ended up dying somehow, was arrested for another charge, or like traveled somewhere else and then continued to do murder like in a different state because back then like counties and states didn't connect murders like they didn't pick up the phone and say hey i have this guy over here do you have something over there that just wasn't a thing so mm -hmm. maybe he just continued to migrate on, like on other places in the u.s but continued to kill people yeah like jump on a train and just travel to the next place and continue yeah. doing what they wanted to do or even change the their motive or what is it called whenever like MO. using yeah mo changing from an axe to a gun or a knife or something different that wouldn't connect him necessarily to the rest. Yes, but, but I yeah, did. you did a great job. Thanks. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode and thank you all for joining Barb and I. We hope you all enjoyed the telling of today's case. Please let us know what you think by emailing us at tcwtm2021 at gmail.com or tell us on our Instagram at Texas Chicks Who Talk Murder with no spaces, Facebook at Texas Chicks Who Talk Murder, and Twitter at Texas Chicks Who with the number one. And as always, stay out of dark places and watch your back because you never know who's lurking. Bye. Bye.